Hello and welcome to A History of Christian Theology. With me this week will be Dr. Stanley Hauerwas. Dr. Hauerwas has written a book called Fully Alive, The Apocalyptic Humanism of Karl Barth, and that is published with the University of Virginia Press, whom we thank for giving us a copy in advance. Um, it was a great pleasure to be able to talk with Dr. Hauerwas, um, as I have read uh, many of his books and listened to many of his lectures. Um, so I, I was very grateful for the opportunity uh, to be able to talk with one of my uh, one of my heroes, one of my theological heroes. Um, and so I'm so grateful uh, for the time that he took um, to to speak with me one on one. Um, and so we're going to cover, uh, you know, just some of the questions that came up for me while reading this book and just a little bit about his theology in general. Um, so it was, um, I hope that it'll also be something that you will enjoy, um, cause I know that I did. Um, I wanted to also draw your attention to the website, a history of Christian theology.com. Um, a student of mine, Grant Bellchamber has been working tirelessly to get that up and running. Um, so if you would please check that out on the website, we will have transcripts. We will have links to books and other things that were referenced on the podcast. Um, so do go check that out. If you have any uh, comments or questions, um, please uh, email me. Uh, there's a new uh, email that'll be associated with the webpage, um, as well as you could message me on Facebook. I noticed recently that we have approached 99 ratings and reviews on iTunes. Um, so that does help people find the podcast. So if you would, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, go out there, rate, review us, um, and let's get over the hump of a, of 100 ratings and reviews. Um, it, so I uh, also wanted to mention that we do have a, a lot of interviews coming up, um, and so we'll be talking about the atonement in the Middle Ages. We'll be talking about wisdom in Augustine. Uh, we've got a question. Uh, we've got a book on divine freedom and human responsibility. Uh, just a lot of things, a lot of interesting topics coming up um, in in future episodes. So stay stay tuned. Um, follow us on Twitter at Theology X-I-A-N. Uh, follow us on Facebook and, and our webpage, and you can see all those uh, interviews as they come out. Uh, so without further ado, my conversation with uh, Dr. Stanley Hauerwas. Well, yeah, so my, I guess I, I thought that we would just start off our conversation. I'm very grateful to uh, the University of Virginia Press, who have provided a copy of this book. Um, and I also appreciate uh, uh, Professor Hauerwas's forbearance. Uh, we we'd scheduled this uh, some time ago, uh, and my grandfather died, and so it, it took some time for, for my family to kind of work through all of that. And, uh, and so I um, appreciate uh, your, your willingness to work with me on scheduling conflicts and then, uh, 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 yeah, and coming on the show. So thank you, Professor Hauerwas. I'm pleased to do it. Um, well, so the book is called Fully Alive. And as I read it, I'm now uh, wondering, so that the, the title itself, it's, it's a, a Fully Alive, uh, the Apocalyptic Humanism of Karl Barth. Uh, but the the actual phrase "fully alive," it, do you? I don't remember if you say where that comes from. Is that the, from the Irenaeus quote, uh, "The glory of God is man fully alive"? Uh, yes, that's what I was thinking of. When, when. Uh, and and how did you choose that as the kind of um, what, what does the connection to Irenaeus kind of help draw out some of what you're trying to uh, work through with respect to Karl Barth, Karl, Karl Barth, and his own humanism? Well, yes. And I've always thought that Irenaeus's um, recapitulation account of how 
Christology recapitulates God's calling of Israel as promised people and the whole history of Israel then is taken up in Christ's life in a way that is reproduced by the church as part of the witness to Christ for the world. So the Irenaeus quote <clears throat> is what I had, in, had partly in mind. If I remember right, I was trying to come up with a title and I think Sam Wells uh, suggested Fully Alive and uh, that's how I, th I think the title uh, came to me. Very good, very good. There was a, as I was um, thinking through uh, some of the questions that I would ask you, and I was thinking about Irenaeus. I was reminded, and and you mentioned uh, George Hunsinger. I actually did a MDiv at Princeton Seminary, and he used to say uh, all the time in class, uh, "God is like light, but unlike any light that we know." Um, and and so it was another kind of uh, one of those sort of phrases that he would return to again and again uh, to kind of help us uh, think through. Uh, some of the implications of Bart's theology, uh, but even his connection to kind of, uh, you know, early church theologians as well. I, I like that kind of move that uh, uh, Hunsinger makes uh, because I think it's, I, I have a chapter in the work of theology called How to Write a Theological Sentence, and I think that uh, coming up with sharp sentences is part of the job of a theologian insofar as the very reality of our worship of Christ forces grammatical expressions that uh, then take books to explain. <laughs> I, I worry a little about the word explain uh, to show the significance of. I, uh, as you know, I use that wonderful sentence by Jensen uh, as my sense of what a great theological sentence is. God is whoever raised Jesus from the dead, having previously raised Israel from Egypt. Um, I say that the crucial thing in that sentence is God is whoever, because what it does is render problematic, the presumption that you know who God is prior to having raised Jesus from the dead. And that always seems to me to invite deism as a way of uh, construing Christian theology in a way that's a disaster. Mm. So, uh, it's just a way of trying to illustrate the point about how the reality of Christ forces grammar that otherwise would not uh, exist. Yeah, and and that's borne out in this book as well. Uh, you do uh, use a lot of uh, powerful sentences and come back to them um, in in this work. Um, and what you know, just on the political theology, the te first task of the church is not to make the world more just, but to make the world the world. Uh, you know, and, and there are similar uh, of these kind of. Um, deep thoughts that come back again uh, and again as, as you try to work them out. Um, and it, it also seems to reflect, as I understand it, some of how you even under, uh, how you 
kind of characterize uh, Barth's own approach to theology, uh, which is eschewing a system, uh, but but repeating true phrases um, in different ways to sort of uh, uh, you know uh, help. Um, um, yeah, I guess you know. I don't want to use. I was trying to use the word explain, but we've already talked. You know, explain what what uh, uh, who Christ is, or the it, to sort of reflect the historical reality of who Christ is. Yeah, Jason Michelli uh, has turned in T-shirts to my my statement: Jesus is Lord, but everything else is just bullshit. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I would stand by that one <laughs> in terms of. Uh, claim that I think is can be defended but yeah. you're probably, I mean one of the other um, kind of sentences that I like is um, if you need a theory of truth to know that Jesus was raised from the dead worship that theory don't worship Jesus which is a very Bardian move yeah, well, and I, I wondered, uh, I, when I was uh, working through the book, I, uh, you know, I've read uh, some Bart, I can't claim to have read all of it, um, and no, so, but you, you, I'm sorry? No one can claim to read all of it, you think. Maybe <laughs> Eberhard Bush. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like it's like we, you know, with uh, similarly with Augustinian studies, I think someone counted up five and a half million wor words uh, from Augustine, and so you know, it, it, like even though I'm supposed to be sort of a student of Augustine, I haven't read all five and a half million of his words either. Right. No. Um, you you say as uh, uh, for Karl Barth. Uh, uh, the quote that I really liked from the book was the church never acts on principle but judges spirituality and by individual cases uh, and so this was a sort of an insight uh, for me to even understand how Bart works which I mean it almost sounds like a, a kind of casuistry right it's almost like you know you, you want to, you, you want to be careful of having too much of a method or an ism uh, as, as you explain it so could you say a little bit more about how this works in your own thought as well as in the and the work of, of Bart as a theologian? I think you look uh, constantly for differences in terms of how differences are displayed by the use of analogies. And so uh, how it is that we have knowledge of God through the inadequacy of language uh, is uh, displayed fundamentally in the continuing theological work of saying what God isn't. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's um, uh, a great um, challenge for Christian theologians because they, they want to be able to say more than, it, than can be justified. Yeah. Well, that almost returns to your Jensen quote, God is whoever, right? So there, there's something similar there where you want to be careful about not saying too much and sort of preserving some of the apophatic character of theology, but still uh, needing to say something. Yes. That, well, the apophatic is uh, dependent upon the cataphatic. Mm. And, um, and, of course, that comes from prayer. Uh, and 
that's an ongoing um, challenge for Christian theologians. I always, I always say, and people never believe me, I'm a very simple believer. <laughs> I, I, I believe what the church tells me to believe. And it's partly that I, I don't like the language of belief very much. Uh, Christians, we believe that um, uh, New York is um, uh, south of Boston, but uh, the language of belief is too weak. Mm. You, you don't die for beliefs, you die for reality that are true. Right. Yeah, I'm reminded of uh, Rowan Williams' book, Tokens of Trust, which uh, I've used in my uh, intro to theology classes sometimes. And, and, you know, he tries to lean on the use of the word trust uh, in, in explaining the creeds uh, rather than belief, because I think he has a similar idea that for whatever reason, how we've come to use the word belief, it's become so weak and ineffectual. Uh, that that uh, you know that he he thinks that we should use more the language of trust. So I've tried to use that with my students. I like that book a lot. I like most of what Rowan does. Um, the um, um, uh, the move that we both are making there has been strongly influenced by Wittgenstein. Mm. I think that's where Rowan gets that from. And, and Wittgenstein, I don't, I'm not uh, familiar enough, I guess, with Wittgenstein. Does he talk about the, the language of trust versus belief? Uh, no, in, in, no, it's just, it's the kind of distinction that you learn to, to make having read uh, Wittgenstein's uh, uh, investigations. It, it, it's, um, it's just a, um, uh, an insight that you can get from Having, having been disciplined by his accounts of the way we must say what, it, what can be said. Yeah, well, and one, one other kind of uh, quote that you use in some of your other works, uh, just sort of um, going on that, that language of belief, um, in your sort of uh, famous like uh, lecture I've seen on YouTube or something, America's God, and I've, I think I've heard you say it a few other times. Uh, you know, Americans uh, ha have this way of saying, uh, "I believe," or "Jesus Christ is Lord," but that's just my personal opinion, or that's sure. just my belief. Um, and you you criticize, you sort of call out uh, how weak that uh, that kind of notion is. And I I thought I would just sort of ask you. You know how how is it that you are able to see uh, with such uh, piercing kind of um, uh, acuity the the sort of the the faults or the failures or the I mean in that case the sort of sentimentalities of American language like one of the things that I always appreciate when I'm reading you is is I feel like I understand America better uh, and and the kind of language that modern Americans use. Um, and, uh, and and I sort of see it in a whole new light. So how, what, what accounts do you think for your sort of ability uh, to, to see with that kind of uh, penetrating insight? Uh, impatience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just impatient. Uh, and 
I suppose, um, given my background, uh, I'm always continually surprised that I'm a Christian. And uh, I don't know that uh, I'm a very good one, but I don't. Um, it, it's all or nothing. Mm. And uh, I um, just have never um, been content with the presumption that being a Christian will give me meaning in life or something like that, rather than um, how is it possible that the world recognizes that this Palestinian Jew that was killed by the Romans turned out to be the Son of God. Uh, once you uh, take that in, it seems to me um, uh, the kind of generalities about Christianity that uh, reinforce our narcissistic desires uh, has to be uh, seen for what it is. It's bullshit. Oh, that, that's, that's, that's the kind of background, I think, that uh, is why I have little use for the kind of sentimentalities that um, shape so much of American Christianity. Yeah, I remember we used to say of my my grandma uh, that she didn't suffer fools, um, and and Mama did not suffer fools. It seems uh, there's a little bit of maybe a little bit of that kind of insight as well. Right, that's probably true. I think it's also coming from the working classes, uh, um, being part of uh, institutions that are upper class elites. Uh, has always uh, given me a certain kind of edge that uh, uh, people that I don't necessarily notice, but people do. Yeah. And I, I guess I, I sort of am curious how you, uh, you know, you've been a professor and uh, been in circles, uh, you know, very vaunted circles for many years. Um, and and what's what's kind of uh, impressive or um, uh, uh, humbling or something? I'm not sure uh, that you're you're sort of able to retain uh, some of the the like some of the sharp um, and powerful forces of the way that you were raised, and so you're able to continue to bring those insights and not let yourself be overwhelmed uh, by the uh, uh, the the awe and the prestige and all the other things that seem to make places like Yale or wherever Duke, uh, Princeton feel so prestigious, but you're, you're able to cultivate kind of the, um, uh, some of those intuitions that, sh that shaped you when you were, when you were young, I guess. Is there, you know, are there ways in which you sort of stay kind of in touch with that kind of world? Um, or is it just, uh, you know, I guess there's like an old Aristotle quote, if you show me the boy, I'll show you the man, I guess. I, I think I don't know uh, how to uh, answer that. Uh, I just uh, am what I am. And uh, I think um, uh, 
uh, I just um, uh, I just don't have much patience with uh, sophistication either uh, in terms of class habits are uh, uh, overly uh, determined theological projects uh, and uh, so uh, I'm, I, I keep I keep my work I hope simple uh, though it takes a lot of sophistication <laughs> to uh, maintain simplicity yeah yeah I'm reminded of a Peter Brown quote about Augustine uh, and in the way that he preached his sermons uh, he says that it's an eloquence achieved at the other side of simplicity but what I think he was trying to get at as far as I understand in the way that Augustine preached was that in a sense Augustine was simple um, but but it wasn't merely just a, uh, the exact same thing as you might hear on the streets of Hippo or Carthage um, he clearly had great eloquence, uh, but he wasn't sort of constantly showing that eloquence. Um, and so his speech became simple and actually, in a sense, uh, sort of chastened by uh, his reading of Scripture and by the humble Christ. Right. I, uh, of course, uh, in, uh, that's in Book 7 he, he, uh, of the Confessions, he, um, he, he, the Platonist finally won't do for him because uh, they have no sense of humility mm. and uh, that Augustine didn't quit being a rhetorician as you well know when he became a Christian he just uh, uh, was one that put his rhetorical skills uh, to service of the faith that had found him that's a wonderful quote from Brown. He has so many wonderful quotes. He does. He does. It it makes you know. There's so much good secondary literature. I you know. It it makes me feel foolish anytime I try to write about Augustine, because uh, I just think there's so many others who have said it better than myself. Why did you write your dissertation on? And, and uh, I I wrote I wrote it on the humility of speech in the sermons. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, it was it was basically me trying to understand how the virtue of humility played itself out and how Augustine encountered his people um, in in the um, in the liturgy of the word. That's great because, of course, um, if you try to be uh, if you try to have the virtue of humility, you won't have it <laughs> because you can't try. <laughs> you discover it's who you are, <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that's tricky. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, and and that your little phrase there, you discover it. It's who you are. Uh, it 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 sort of um, connects with uh, the the another book that I use um, in my theology classes sometimes. Uh, for intro to theology, I have them read uh, the character of virtue, the letters to a godson. Oh, do you? My students love it. Oh, I'm glad to know that. I, it's a book I like very much. Yeah, 
it it's um I you know I have to say I was a little surprised at first um because to some extent I think they thought I was being uh sort of like treating them like children or something that they might be kind of uh, offended by it but they they just they really appreciate your kind of uh candor about your own life um and then and some of the uh the ways that you talk about the difficult uh, of you know what it means to be an American but then we we really try to like dig deep into uh the notion of virtue as as presented there and and actually if i could play off another quote from this new book fully alive you say uh quoting nietzsche as soon as christians begin to use the language of values you could be sure they no longer believe in god uh so i thought maybe uh, could you speak a little bit about the difference uh between virtue and value as a way of kind of uh responding to that nietzsche quote um, by the way, there's a wonderful passage in a new book by Marion on the Catholic moment in France, where he, he has some reflections on uh, the language of values. Uh, along, the uh, language of values are the language that you can expect uh, a decadent culture to use. He says, but uh, value is, of course, a capitalist language that indicates um, subjective desire for um, uh, ends that uh, are fundamentally arbitrary. So, um, the uh, values are, I, I always think, um, not unlike Groucho Marx, uh, wouldn't want to be a member of a country club that would have him as a member. <laughs> values are subjective um, desires that are arbitrary, that just to the extent that you make them what they are, you don't want them. <laughs> would, would you trust, would you trust uh, yourself? with the morality that you yourself have chosen uh, is part of the problem. The virtues, of course, are um, habits that uh, depend upon uh, the formation of the body in a way that um, the, the means and the ends are commensurate to just to the extent that you discover that the um, habits necessary to be a person of humility um, are um, not arbitrary but uh, reflect uh, the character of what it means to be a good human being. Um, one, one other question that has come up for me um, in the in reading that um, the character of virtue, you you talk a lot about uh, the gift and that life is a gift, and I love uh, you know and I I think probably uh, you know to some extent that's also arising out of a reading of Augustine as well, um, and and even that notion of, of habits and acquiring the habits, it's it's a it's, I feel like it's an increasingly hard thing to teach my students uh, when I'm uh, to to sort of understand that they do things. Uh, that they where they don't realize what's happening, um, but before long they've developed a kind of habit, like you say, that 
that that that you know you're not trying to do it. You can't sort of set out to be hum humble, or you can't set out uh, to um, to acquire the virtues, but they're learned through behaviors. And usually, I end up using sports analogies. Yeah. Um, that's that's is the, the best that I can do. Yeah, it's our best analogies today. Yeah. And it sounds like, and I try to, you know, you, you have some sections in there about learning uh, from the, the, the sort of the gift of the work that your dad was given to do uh, as a bricklayer. And I, I, you know, I think that's a, and I think that's a very powerful way, but so many of us were not raised sort of given work to do as children. Um, or, and, and I don't, I don't mean to say that children should go back to the factories or something, but, but having some sort of meaningful work that's part of how they were raised. It's it's a it seems like it's an increasingly difficult thing to explain uh, to the 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 younger you know the students that I teach. Yeah, I say that the great thing about being a Christian is it gives you something to do. <laughs> there, there's so so much of our life today just it isn't anything to do. It's just mm -hmm. one thing after another. So. A purposeful life is uh, a great gift that uh, we are given as Christians. And gift, when the gift language it, it can invite the presumption that I exist and I receive a gift, but the Christian account is life itself is gift. You don't exist and then receive something. You're, you are reception. <laughs> so it's not like um, uh, there is some um, position I, I hold prior to being a creature. Yeah, and, and, and that almost comes full circle to some of the stuff that we were talking about at the beginning where if you have a theory for truth, uh, then you should worship that theory. Um, and in some sense, the 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 truth just is that you are a creature. It's not a it's not about a theory or a method or something that's behind the thing. It just is the thing. You just are a creature, just like Christ is uh, the the Son of God. Right. That's right. Um, one one kind of question that I was trying to work through a little bit too as I was reading, and, and uh, again I'm in a place where I don't know uh, Reinhold Niebuhr uh, very well, uh, you know, one one book or something here or there. But uh, you talk about the difference between the real and the ideal, and then uh, which is one way of uh, I think it's a Niebuhrian uh, way of looking at the world. So so there's the you know basically he has to give up the ideal for the real. Um, and then Bart, uh, you you characterize as looking at the real and the unreal, um, and I find that uh, I I I too sort of don't like the language of the 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 um, real and ideal, um, except for I I also find it hard to think about the unreal and the the real. So I don't know. It it was uh, I was I was trying to kind of get a hold on what's at play there between uh, Niebuhr and Bart. And, and maybe other language for kind of the world that we find ourselves in. Well, for Niebuhr, of course, he, he thought that what Christ is, uh, is agapeistic love. It is love that is 
completely sacrificial. And such a love uh, cannot be at the heart of political life because politics demands compromise in a way that is, quote, realistic given the possibilities of sin that um, shape our lives. So uh, the ideal is love, which means that its expression in terms of its actual embodiment in our lives will be relative justice, which involves power and violence that must be used in ways that do not overwhelm um, the goods that make that the political make possible. Uh, what is left out in all that is, of course, the church <laughs> and the kind of people that we ought to be to uh, not uh, be determined by ideals, but determined by the reality of Christ in a world that uh, would crucify him again if we had the chance. It's a world that does crucify him again. Uh, so the language of ideal real was my way of challenging a politics that my cat has joined us. <laughs> right. So, though, um, Reinhold Niebuhr was uh, uh, a determinative Protestant um, theologian for who one ought to have great respect for, but who I think made some determinative mistakes. I see. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I thought I would just end with, um, you know, returning a little bit to the humanism of Bart um, and as a way to kind of close up and, and again refer back to the book, which I, uh, you know, I know you have many books, but uh, I, I learned a lot from this one. So I don't, I don't know where it fits in the sort of pantheon of, uh, of Hauerwasian books, but, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Well, thank um, you. And, yeah, well, th thank you for writing it. Um, there's a great quote on 115. You say, Christians do not try to be more than human. They are more humanistic than the humanist, just to the extent uh, – or sorry, I think that makes more sense. I missed out the – or left out the because. <laughs> because Christians do not try to be more than human, they are more humanistic than the humanist, just to the extent that we have learned to confess that we are not our own creator. Um, and, and I thought that that, that sort of encapsulated again the, the point that you've been trying to make here about how Bart can have a kind of humanism which he's not known for being, for being attributed to him. And uh, I, I thought it was a, a wonderful quote. Um, it also uh, just reminds me of, um, again, sort of the, the uh, Irenaeus or uh, Athanasian kind of uh, idea that we learn what it means to be human in Christ. Um, so it's not a, an anti-human uh, uh, anti thing, uh, but just that, that we actually learn humanity from Christ. Yeah, there, 
that behind that I was thinking of um, Martha Nesbaum's account of Aristotle and the fragility of, of, of virtue in which she praises Aristotle for um, wanting us to be no more than human and I, I, I think that's, a, that's true of Aristotle but it's very hard to keep humans merely human and therefore um, the schooling that we get from Christ makes us no more than human but the humanity that we are no more is um, uh, one that takes great risk in life because of what we've been given as, as a life determined by a cross. So um, it, the kind of mere humanity that Christians represent is as connections with an Aristotelian, but it is more than the Aristotelian humanity. So that's some of the kinds of things I was thinking of. Well, Professor Hauerwas, it has been uh, an absolute pleasure uh, to be able to speak with you, and so I'm grateful to have you as a guest on A History of Christian Theology. It's been great.